This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks for listening. And we're going to have a few views this hour of the evil sequester cuts that are on their way to a small business or a government program near you. You may know someone getting the axe or taking a pay cut these days. We've heard from a lot of Americans over the past week looking at the calendar and then looking at their savings and not liking what they're seeing. Dave Gassett is a mechanic on a Pentagon payroll in Arkansas. It is going to be financially devastating to the people that work here because contrary to popular belief, most government workers don't make that big money that people are always talking about. We've heard from meat inspectors and federally supported special education teachers. Meat and poultry plants cannot operate. Definitely impact our uh, funding for positions for Special education is more than just the teacher and the instructional assistant in the classroom. Some people asked to leave, just laid off. Other jobs shuffled around to fewer workers, and there have been straight pay cuts. We would basically get a 20% cut in pay for the rest of this fiscal year. And in research labs and clinics all around the country, things are just beginning to shut down. The thing that's so disturbing about the way the sequester works is that it literally impacts absolutely everything. All of a sudden, you're, you're asked to almost dismantle these research teams. Now multiply these voices across the country, then across professions... And what you get is a chorus of millions who will take a direct hit from the impending sequestration. Financially devastating. Students who cannot put product into commerce are most at risk. We have the OTs, the PTs. Our funds are in place right now. But it will definitely impact. That chorus is not a noise you hear up in the higher altitudes of economists and political analysts trying to sort out what the political fallout is from all of this. The sequester... Numerous competing budgets from the White House, the upcoming Paul Ryan GOP budget, and the debt ceiling fight, all still out on the horizon. The casualties on the ground and all the confusion in the clouds up here is a sign that the whole political system is trying to systematically avoid all the hard fiscal questions. David Leonard, Washington bureau chief for our partner, The New York Times, is the author of the extended essay in book form, Here's the Deal. David, welcome back to the program. It's good to be on, John. So the sequester is one thing, and we've been talking a lot about the impacts of the sequester, but really the entire uh, long-term battle over the budget itself and how we allocate these priorities is something that's not necessarily going to be resolved to sequester or not, and that's something that's going to be with us for a while. It is going to be with us for a while. Essentially, we have this problem in which we've promised ourselves a larger government than we've been willing to finance. And um, we don't need to solve that problem immediately. In fact, I think the evidence suggests that the weakness in the economy, unemployment and slow growth, is a bigger problem right now than the deficit. But ultimately, the deficit is a real problem. And we have to figure out a way to have a government that is only as big as we are willing to pay for. And countries around the world have had to deal with this sort of thing where a a set of expectations collides with a a certain set of realities. And political systems don't have a terribly good track record for resolving these kinds of questions. And, you know, we're supposedly the most experienced democracy on the planet. Um, I suspect we're going to have some difficulty with this. I think we are, and that's part of what you see right now. 
which is that one of the reasons you don't see people coming out with plans that are immediately embraced by both parties, or for that matter, the general public, is because whatever people say about their feelings toward the deficit, most people want their taxes to be low and their benefits to be good. They want good government services and fairly low taxes, and that's a recipe for a deficit. Perhaps most worrisomely, I think it also means that we end up spending too little money on the kinds of things that cause the economy to grow. We essentially spend too little money on the future and too much money on the present. And you see that in the sequester. We're, we're cutting all these areas that might help economic growth in the future, and we are holding completely harmless um, big programs like Medicare and Social Security. And there's a tendency to cling to ideology as a way of not focusing on the much harder kind of reality that's out there. In your book, you describe a series of conversations with Congressman Paul Ryan, who's a smart guy, and you say that he's a smart guy, but when often confronted by the data um, that would attempt to cast light on his theories about the impact of taxation on the economy, etc., even someone like him you know, walks away from the data that sort of shows what actually happens in the economy when you cut taxes, when you cut spending, when you do the sorts of things that are typically debated on uh, talk shows on cable television. Conservatives and Republicans, I think, have really been right about this idea that economic growth is the number one thing we should be aiming for here. I think liberals and Democrats sometimes wrongly think that growth is finite or that the division of the pie matters even more than the size of the pie. I think history suggests that economic growth is the most important thing we could do for living standards and the deficit. But where conservatives have gone off the rails is in how to get economic growth. And they've continually insisted that tax cuts are the way to get economic growth. And we just now have so many years of evidence that suggests that's not the case, that modest changes in tax rates like the kind we've had under Obama and Bush and Clinton aren't the driving force of growth. And that's why you could have had such weak growth in the George W. Bush years after tax cuts and not such strong growth in the Bill Clinton years after tax increases. If we look back at the sequester itself um, and... I suspect you would agree, as does everyone, that it's just a bad way to do business. It's a bad way to set priorities. But if it were to happen, worst case scenario, and a program shut down and people are sent home and uh, certain things just go away, and we learn to live without them, is there going to be data that comes out of the sequester that helps us to then formulate the questions, all right, maybe we don't need as much of this. Maybe we don't need this kind of a program. Maybe there's other ways to fund this service. Do we at least get that benefit from this crazy sequester, or will it be lost in the noise? Yes, I actually think that is a potential silver lining here. I mean, I think it is likely that many of the programs receiving the kind of cuts that they're receiving in the sequester could survive them if they were well-designed cuts. Now, as you suggested, these are not well-designed cuts. They're arbitrary. They're across the board. Part of the problem, though, is that some programs actually should be getting more money. The kinds of investments, often relatively small dollar amounts, that can um, lead to new innovations and new discoveries. I mean, the federal government is responsible for building the Internet. It's responsible for the funding behind the jet engine and radar and penicillin uh, and aviation and, and other obvious things like the highway system. And um, part of the problem here is we're cutting everything. And I do think there's something healthy about forcing government to live more within its means. But it's hard to see this as the smart way to do it. Let me ask you a hard question. What federal government service would you eliminate tomorrow? This is only a partial answer, but it's real dollars, so I think it counts. 
I would lose a substantial amount of health care spending by the federal government. We spend enormous amounts of money on health care. We waste enormous amounts of money on health care. And that certainly includes the government, mainly through Medicare. And so um, I think tomorrow the federal government could decide that it was going to cut Medicare funding by some specific percentage and then go out and find a way to make that happen, not with no pain, but with considerably less pain than the dollars it would save. All right. Uh, David Leonhardt, the Washington Bureau Chief for our partner, The New York Times. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, John. I'm David Remnick, host of The New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour wherever you listen to podcasts.